Welcome everyone to Mosaic again. Uh, those of you who are worshiping from home, welcome uh, to our Sunday service. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be coming to the end of our Daniel series. And so if you would turn your Bibles at home to Daniel 12, for those of you here, if you have your Bibles as well, uh, we're going to be reading the first four verses of the last chapter of Daniel, and we'll be closing this book out together. And so this is Daniel 12. As we go into the word of God, these are verses one to four from the last chapter of our book of Daniel. Verse one, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who, was, who has charge of your people. <clears throat> and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro in knowledge shall increase. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, four months, uh, we've been in um, this book of Daniel, and God has shown us a lot in, in this time. And the whole purpose of the book of Daniel, as we've seen in the past four months, is that in a really tough time for the people of God, uh, such as we are in, um, for such a, such a people who are going through such a difficult time, the book of Daniel has given us visions of God. And today, he gives us our last vision um, in the book of Daniel. And I'd like to, to say, propose, that actually I think that he saves the best for last. He saves the best vision uh, for last. And as Pastor Andre said at the beginning of today's service, it's been a tough year uh, for all of us. And many of us um, have had tougher years than others, not just the pandemic and the, and the social unrest that's in our nation, also the economic hardship that a lot of us are facing. But some of us have really, really deep pains uh, from this past year. And the book of Daniel has been God giving us uh, visions of hope uh, throughout. Um, today, he gives us one last vision. And it's a unique vision. Um, it's a vision, actually, of the resurrection. It's a vision of the resurrection. Um, and today, um, I want to introduce uh, this to you. Um, and th th there are three things that I want to look at um, in this passage as we close out this book. There are three things that God tells us. And he's talking to a people who are pretty destroyed. Uh, he's talking to a people that are in deep, deep despair. Uh, because as I'm going to go into it in about a minute, um, their biggest hope uh, for all their time in Babylon has been dashed. They've had one hope, and that hope has been dashed. And these are the three things that God says to them. The first thing that he says to them is, Daniel, things are going to get worse. Things are going to get worse. That's the first thing he says to them, right? Um, this is the thing about the, the word of God is it never, sometimes he, he doesn't give us exactly what we're expecting for him to say in the moments that we expect him to say it. And in a, to a very disparaged people, he says to them, well, things are going to get worse. That's the first thing he says. Then um, the second thing that he says is, I, I want you to hope in the resurrection, I want you to hope in the resurrection. And the last thing that he tells us is how to hold on to this hope. And so the three things again. He says, more fire is coming. More fire is coming. But I want to give you one last vision of hope in the resurrection. 
And then the last thing he says is, I want you to hold on to this hope. And so, brothers and sisters, let's bow our heads and receive this last vision um, in this book of Daniel together. Father, as we come to you, um, we can really relate to the people of Daniel. And today, I guess we'll see how even more we can relate to them. But Father, I pray that you would send your spirit so that we would have hope in the midst of all that's going on. And I pray for all of us. You know, we've been clinging on to whatever hope we could find. And I pray that today, that your word would come and lift us out of the mire and clay of 2020. And I pray that you would help to set our feet upon a rock, a solid rock that you give us in the hope of the resurrection. And so, Father, as we dig into this word, prepare our hearts. Your word is living and active, but our hearts are not always ready. Even right now in the middle of our Sabbath Sunday worship service, I know that some of us, our hearts are not prepared. And so, Father, send your spirit so that you would give us good soil. So as the word of God lands on it, it would sprout up in that fertile soil, prepared by the Holy Spirit. We trust you. We ask you to do that in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as we open up the book of Daniel um, again, let me give you a little bit of context. The context of, of this vision um, is this is a vision actually that Pastor Andre began to preach uh, a few weeks ago in Daniel 10. The last vision that we see in the book of Daniel is not a, da uh, not a dream or a vision that a king had, but it's a dream and a vision that Daniel himself had. And we started to unpack this and today we're coming to the very end of that vision. But that vision comes in a historical context, and this is what's happening when Daniel receives the vision. Um, the people of God are finally issued a decree that tells them they can go home. They can go home. If you think about the entire time that they've been in Babylon, the entire time they've been in exile, they've had one hope, really, that's overarched all the hopes. And the one hope that they were really banking on was that one day they could go home. One day they could go to Jerusalem. That was their big hope. Everybody was hoping in that Jerusalem. And if you remember when we opened up the book of Daniel, the big question was, we are in exile. How can we ever sing the songs of Jerusalem in a foreign land? Now that this is our situation, now that this is kind of what has happened to us, how can we ever be a joyful people again? How can we ever have hope again in the situation that we're in? And their hope was that one day, they would go back to Jerusalem. King Cyrus comes into power and he issues a decree that those who want to go home to Jerusalem, any Jew wanting to go home can go home. And so this is a big, big deal. This is finally what they've been waiting for. And so the decree goes out and 40,000 Jews get ready to go back. And they go back led by a man named Zerubbabel. And they go back and imagine that walk back to Jerusalem, back to their homeland. They must have been singing the entire way back home. Because here is the hope that they had been waiting for all these different years. And yet, when they get to Jerusalem, it isn't what they've expected. They waited all these years to get to the holy city, to get home. And once they get home, it's not the glorious city that they were waiting for. In fact, it's a city in ruins. It's a city of rubble where there used to be life. It's not a glorious city, but it's a conquered city. 
And so they go home, and some of you know the history of what happened. Some of them decide to rebuild. Some of them decide that we need to rebuild Jerusalem because this is not the city it should be. Our city and our temple is in ruins. And so some of them try to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls that have been broken down in their hope, their city of Jerusalem. But no matter how much they try, it doesn't really work. No, much, no matter how much they tried to rebuild Jerusalem, it's not exactly the Jerusalem that they had hoped it would be. And eventually what happens is they give up on their hope and they give up trying to rebuild their home. They give up trying to rebuild Jerusalem. And instead of hope, they trade in hope for comfort. Because they start to build the temple of Jerusalem, but then they give up and they say, you know what, this isn't working. And so because this isn't working, we might as well Build for ourselves nice houses. This is not working, guys. I mean, it, the Jerusalem, it, we're not going to be able to remake Jerusalem. And so let's just, let's just go and make paneled houses for ourselves. Let's just at least make nice, comfortable lives for our families. Because this is not working. We've tried. And so they give up building the temple. They give up on Jerusalem. And the word must have gone back to Daniel. And imagine how discouraging this must be for Daniel, the man who has been for decades hoping and dreaming in Babylon for the glorious city of Jerusalem to come back. And word gets back to Daniel, your people have given up. Jerusalem is not coming back. This is a people of dashed hope. You know, this is different from the rest of Daniel because for the entire book of Daniel, at least they had the hope of Jerusalem. They were banking on that hope of Jerusalem the whole time they were in exile. But what do they do when the hope that they had is dashed? Now what are they supposed to hope in? Now what are they supposed to look forward to in Babylon? I want to ask you, uh, what's the greatest disappointment of your life? You know, just take a moment to just think, What's been the greatest disappointment of your life? What's been the thing that let you down severely? The kind of disappointment that stays with you. You know the kind of disappointment that, that you have invested so much hope in. And when that disappointment, is, it hits you, it kind of marks you. No matter how much you try to move on from it, that kind of disappointment, it stays with you. It lingers with you. What's that disappointment in your life? I wonder. The people of God, not only have they lost their, their greatest hope, but now they're a jaded people. You know, a lot of them are jaded because they tried to rebuild Jerusalem. They tried to work on hope, but then hope didn't work out. And so they just decided to go with comfort. And now they're just jaded people looking for comforts. And that word go, goes back to Daniel. And Daniel goes to the Lord. And the Lord has a word for Daniel in the midst of all of this, in his disappointment, in all his discouragement. This is what the Lord says. And it's a surprising word. The word that the Lord gives to him is, oh, Daniel, don't worry. It's going to get worse. <laughs> oh, Daniel, don't worry. This, you haven't seen the worst of it. It's going to get much worse than this. Go to, go to verse 1. Again, of Daniel, it says, Daniel, there shall be a time of trouble such as never has there been, right? A kind of trouble you've never seen before since there was a nation to that time. There's something coming to you guys, to the Jews, that there's a trouble coming, a disappointment coming. That's going to make this feel like nothing. There are worse things coming to your people. 
Now he's looking forward to a time when a man named Antiochus comes into power and just does terrible things to them. He's also looking forward to the end of days. But his point is, look, it's going to get worse. There are going to be greater disappointments in your life. There's going to be greater disappointments for your people. And if I were Daniel, I, I mean, I would be so discouraged by this initial word from God. Right? My response would be, seriously? You know, seriously, I mean, we're all disappointed. All of us, we're downcast. You know, we're already down. Why would you kick us when we're already down? Well, I mean, don't, aren't you supposed to give us a word of comfort? Why would you give us the, this um, even more disappointing word from you? you? You're telling us that worse things are coming? Yeah, that's God's word to them. He says, Daniel, things are going to get worse. And the point of this, the reason why God says this to them is because this is a reality check. This is a reality check for the people of God. It's supposed to reveal what's been going on in their hearts. It's supposed to reveal what they've been hoping in this entire time that they have been in Babylon. You see, he's saying to them, don't you see, Daniel, that the people of God, the whole time that they have been in exile, they've been hoping in an earthly city. They've been hoping in a city that's been made out of brick and mortar. That's what your hope has been this entire time. And don't you see, this is a reality check. There's no such thing as an earthly city that can fulfill eternal hopes. There's no such thing. It's a reality check for the, God, uh, for the people of God. And you know, Christianity is actually full of a lot of reality checks. It was Karl Marx who once said that Christianity or religion is the opiate of the people, or opiate of the masses. And what he meant by that is that there are all these realities and real life truths in this world, and what people do is they use religion to escape reality. So he once said, Karl Marx once said, that religion is the opiate of the people. But when you actually look at the Bible, when you actually look at the truths of scripture, you find that there's nothing further from the truth. Because true Christianity, the true Bible has all sorts of reality checks for us that snap us out of our delusional thinking. Christianity is not an opiate for the people, but when you really look at Christianity, it's the smelling salts of the people. And here's a reality check for Daniel and the people of God. God is coming to say, there are worse things coming. You have been delusional. You have been engaging in an opiate for your people, thinking that the, new Jerus that the Jerusalem and the city and the temple, that these were going to be the redemption of your people. Wake up, Daniel. This is bad, but there are worse things coming. You see, he's saying your people are so deeply disappointed because you had hoped in something earthly. And I know this hurts to hear, Daniel, but you have to hear it. There are more Babylons coming. There are more difficulties coming. Worse things are coming. And if you don't learn where to put your hope, then you're going to end up a jaded people, a calloused people, living in quiet despair. Daniel, you have to wake up. This earthly city, no matter how wonderful it is, is not going to fulfill you. The point of this first reality check, when God comes and says to you, says to Daniel, there are worse things coming, he's teaching us that unchecked, Earthly hopes can end up being the opiate of God's people. And we have to see in what ways we have been doing this in our own lives. You know, it, it's, it, was, such a, um, it was such a rebuke to me this week. 
because I feel like in a lot of ways, we're in a similar time hoping for Jerusalem. And me in particular, I, I think I was rebuked by this word because, you know, I've been reminiscing a lot these days. Um, I've been reminiscing a lot about our church and we haven't been able to have um, full service for a long time. And now that we're getting near to Christmas season, you know, I've been reminiscing a lot about last Christmas, you know, looking through photos and stuff like that about Mosaic from last year. And, you know, I remember baptizing Annie Wu here last year. And I remember baptizing all these babies last year up here. And I remember the minis presentation that they gave up here, a Christmas service. And I remember smelling all the food that was waiting for us in the atrium for our Christmas lunch. And I remember all the gatherings that we used to have, the Christmas parties that I remember hearing about. And you know what I also remember? I remember hearing the voices of our church praising God together here in this room. You know, I think I have the best seat for that because I sit way in the front. And um, I can hear all the voices of the church when we sing. I think I hear it better than the worship team because the worship team, I don't know if you know, but they have monitors in their ears, so they're listening to themselves. But I think I have the best seat because when the, the sanctuary is full and the people of God are singing God's praises, I hear all of it. And it resounds in me. And I miss hearing that. And I remember having our Thanksgiving potluck here. I remember our outdoor service. I was just reminiscing about all these things that we used to do as a church family. And I think that God was rebuking me because there was a part of my heart that felt like everything will be fine when we get back to Jerusalem. Everything's going to be fine when the pandemic is over and we just get back to that. And you know, I think God was saying that, you know, Dave, what you're actually hoping in, that that hope is too big for earthly things. Even God's worship, even his church. That was the tricky thing about Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem and the church, that's where heaven meets earth. So it's not totally earthly. If it was something like money, I think that it would immediately, we would say like, oh, you can't hope in money. But Jerusalem was where heaven touched earth. And so you were tempted to think that Jerusalem was the redemption of all things. And in the same way, when I think about our church coming back to worship, there is a temptation that church is going to be fine once we get back, that redemption is going to come when we're able to worship all together again and just waiting on that hope. And I think God rebuked me this week, saying that the things that you're actually craving, the things that you're actually hoping in, is not going to be redeemed when your church comes back. It's too small for the big hopes that you have in your heart. And brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, what are those hopes for you? What's your Jerusalem? Because when people go through long periods of suffering, we all grab onto whatever hope we could find. That happens to all of us. We grab onto whatever we could find, and I don't know what that thing is for you, but we all have personal Jerusalems that we look forward to that we think that when we reach this Jerusalem, we will be redeemed. And we've convinced ourselves that that Jerusalem is going to untie all the problems that we feel. I don't know if maybe for you that's a new job. Maybe you're just really frustrated in the career that you have. And so you're looking forward to that Jerusalem. 
And when that Jerusalem comes, you've convinced yourself, ah, redemption will come to me and my family. Maybe for you it's a relationship, a marriage that you're looking forward to, and and you think that that is going to be your Jerusalem. Maybe it's a college uh, acceptance letter for your children, something. I don't know what it is for you. But we all have our own personal Jerusalems where we're looking forward to it and we think that it will be the redemption of all things. And brothers and sisters, God has some tough news for us as we start today's sermon. He had some tough news for me this week. And that tough news is that the next job, I'm sorry, is not going to be a redemption. The marriage that you're looking forward to, I'm sorry, is not going to be your redemption. Your retirement, I'm sorry, is not going to be your rest. Your next success is not going to do it for you. Even Jerusalem, God's holy city, was not the ultimate fulfillment of their hopes. You see, what God wants to do for Daniel first is to give them this reality check and to tell him that your hopes are too big for earthly things. You know, when I was studying for my dissertation, one of the people that I read, his name was Studs Terkel. And he said something that was interesting. He had studied uh, people at work his entire life. You know, that was his kind of focus. And he said, the thing I found out about jobs is that jobs are too small for us. And what he meant by that is this. We put a lot of hope in our careers. We work really hard and study really hard because we believe that our career is our calling. And so therefore, our calling is going to fulfill us. Studs Terkel studied people, Christians at work for many, many years. And he said, we know what I realize is that we're too big for our jobs. That our hopes that we had for our work never end up fitting into our jobs like we thought that they would. But our jobs are too small for us because our hopes are way too big. God says to Daniel, Daniel, Jerusalem is too small for the hopes that you have. It's not going to fulfill you. And so maybe some of us will say, fine. Then, you know, earthly things don't satisfy me, so I'm not going to hope in anything. I'm just not going to hope in stuff. I'm going to live my life kind of detached from hope. I'm not going to get my hopes up for anything. And that's how I'm going to live. Well, guess what? You can't do that either. You can't keep up that charade because the truth of the matter is you're made for hope. You are engineered in your heart to hope, especially hope in eternal things. So you can't pull that off no matter how much you want to just say, ah, I'm not going to get my hopes up for anything. Have you guys noticed in um, new movies these days, I've noticed this in the, in the lead characters and the protagonists, it's kind of different from old movies. You know, in old movies, um, the protagonist usually starts off the movie, uh, the hero starts off the movie kind of happy-go-lucky, very optimistic, and run into the challenges of whatever the movie is, and then they come out the other end. But you know what's interesting that I'm seeing in the newer modern movies is they take the protagonist and they make that protagonist really jaded at the beginning of the movie. Do you guys notice this in the movies? It's kind of a new thing, I think, um, because I think that modern people feel that jaded people and calloused people are more relatable than happy-go-lucky people. And so they'll take the hero of an action movie and he'll be living some reclusive life away from everything. And of course, he has CIA training and he's like a super spy in the past, but he doesn't want anything. He doesn't want to have to do with anything. And so he's living in a trailer in the woods by himself with a dog and he's kind of living this reclusive life and he's thinking, you know what? I don't care about anything. I don't get my hopes up for anything. That's how a lot of movies start now, right? If it's a love story, sometimes it's a woman, right? Not 
bright-eyed and looking for love, but sometimes there's a woman kind of just detached and saying, you know what, I gave, gave up on love a long time ago. A kind of a jaded, calloused kind of position. Why does that happen? I think that for one, I think that we feel like those kind of characters are relatable. But what always happens in the arc of the narrative, they always end up giving into hope. The action hero comes out of his trailer and goaded by somebody is eventually pulled into the story, pulled into the rescue and ends up hoping against all hopes. Uh, the person who, who gave up on love, he or she ends up being pulled into this love story and ends up finding love, hope against all hopes. Why, why is that narrative being told in 2020 over and over again? I think it says something about you. That we believe that we can live jaded lives, but in the end, we are people made for hope. That story is being told over and over again but the thing is, our eternal hopes are too big for earthly things. And so today in this vision, God comes to Daniel and he gives him one last vision of hope. And it's a hope that does not disappoint. It's, I think, the biggest, best vision of hope in the book of Daniel. And it's the vision that he gives to Daniel of the resurrection. Let's read verse 1 to 3 again. I'm just going to start from the second half of verse 1. Read this intently with me. It says this. But at the time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. The last vision of hope that we get in the book of Daniel is strange because all the visions of hope in the book of Daniel have been a vision of God, right? It, this is usually the setup for the vision of uh, the visions of Daniel, right? People are suffering. There's a king who has um, a scary dream. You know, he comes to Daniel, and then Daniel interprets the dream, and it ends up being a vision of God on his throne. You see that over and over again in the second half of Daniel. The last one is different, though. The last one is different because what you get here is not necessarily a vision of God, but you get a vision of us, a vision of us. Now that sounds heretical, that our, our hope is in us, right? That's health and wealth gospel kind of stuff. But what, what I'm saying here is not that the hope is necessarily in us, but the hope, the vision of hope that God gives to Daniel at the end of the book, the very last one that he keeps for Daniel until the very end is a vision of our resurrection, of us resurrected. Read it again. Many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake to everlasting life. You will shine like the brightness of the sky above, the stars forever and ever. He gives to us, as the last one, a hope of the resurrection. This is the only glimpse of the resurrection in the entire Old Testament. In the entire Old Testament, this is the only glimpse of the resurrection, and there's a reason for that. God, in his Heavenly wisdom has decided that throughout biblical history that he would reveal things little bit by a little bit. 
And so that there are glimpses of there's a Messiah coming, the glimpses of he's going to be born in Beth, um, Bethlehem, come from Nazareth. You get these little glimpses until it pops. You know, biblical theologians, they say that, um, that, that God's uh, revelation is like a flower, right? It's in its seed form, and then it slowly starts to grow. And then once you get into the New Testament, it really blossoms in full. God is a gift hider. You know, he veils, conceals, and hides his truths in the Old Testament, and then he reveals it to us in full in the New Testament. But the question is, why does God give the gift of resurrection here in Daniel? Because when you read the Bible, you realize this is kind of the wrong time. This is too early to talk about the resurrection. It won't even really make sense until later. But God reveals the truth of the resurrection, which is largely hidden in the Old Testament, singularly and uniquely here in Daniel, he gives to the people of Babylon this glimpse of the resurrection. I think it's because they're so broken. I think it's because they've lost their final hope. What, what do they have left to hope in? The whole time that they were in Babylon, as difficult as it was, at least they had the hope of Jerusalem, even if it was kind of fake, you know, because Jerusalem was in ruins and they were dreaming about a glorious Jerusalem. At least they had that. You know, there's no one more discouraged than someone who's had their ultimate hopes dashed. I think that that's the position that God's people are in here in this moment. Rock bottom, even Jerusalem is gone. What hope do they have when everything is broken and they tried to fix it? They tried to rebuild Jerusalem and they couldn't do it. You know, the commenta- there's a commentator who writes on Daniel and he told a story about when his young son was going on a walk with his wife, with his mom. And they were walking and this young boy saw a dead bird on the side of the road. It's the first time he saw a dead animal. You know, the first time really he experienced death. But he said that there was something instinctive in that little boy who understood that they couldn't help the bird. There was something instinctive in him that realized that there was nothing that they could do for that little bird. And so he looked to his mom and he asked his mom, Mommy, it can't be fixed, can it? It can't be fixed, can it, Mommy? And the mom responded, No, Jamie, it can't be fixed. And then the commentator writes, he says, the apocalyptic parts of the Bible, like the book of Daniel, remind us that we live in a world that simply cannot be fixed. That cannot simply be fixed. It needs to be remade. He says, what we get in apocalyptic literature, places like Daniel and Revelation, is we realize that the brokenness of our world, it can't be totally fixed. No matter how much we do, But Daniel and Revelation reminds us that we live in such a world that needs to be remade. Remade. That's the hope that God gives to Daniel's people in the resurrection. Everything is broken. They can't fix Jerusalem. They can't fix their hope. And so at the very moment of their deepest regrets and deepest disappointments, he gives them the truth of the resurrection. This is a gift that he gives to his people in the Old Testament that he's not really supposed to give in that moment. 
You know, God is the gift hider. And many of you are doing the same thing right now. What is, what is, I think it's like December, I forget the date, but it was somewhere in the middle of December now. And we're getting our Christmas gifts ready. And maybe you got a gift for, you know, your family member, your spouse, your kids. And maybe Amazon delivered it a little bit too early, right? They're pretty quick. Maybe Amazon was a little bit more efficient than you thought. And it came to your doorstep too early. You stuffed it in your closet and you're hiding it from your family members. Sometimes we get Christmas gifts and we're not sure if they're going to be any good. That's me most years. <laughs> Whenever I choose a Christmas gift, I always think, oh man, are, I, I don't even know if they'll actually use it, right? Have you guys ever felt like that with your Christmas gifts? That's me most years. But there are some Christmases when you hit it right on the nose, when you get that perfect gift, when you get that perfect gift that you know your family member is going to love and use all the time, and when you hit that Christmas gift, it fills you with anticipation. It fills you with anticipation, and you can't wait for your family member to get it, whether it's your wife, your husband, your kids. You can't wait to see the look on their face when they get it because you know you got them. Finally, you know you got them the perfect gift. And so it's in the closet and every time they walk past the closet, you're thinking, they don't even know that I got, I got them the perfect gift this year. They don't even know what's behind that closet. And the anticipation is there. And so maybe because you're so excited, you drop little hints, you know, to your kids. Like, oh, man, I heard those PlayStations are pretty hard to get, huh? I heard this year it's really hard to get your hands on one. Or, you know, maybe you tell your wife, like, wow, those Chanel bags. I heard it's tough to get one of those. I wonder what a guy has to do to get his hands on one of those this year. Maybe you drop little hints because you, can't, you just can't help it. You know they're going to love it. And you know that it, it's exactly what they want, exactly what they need. And as gift givers, sometimes we leak little hints here or there. Why does God leak the resurrection? He leaks the resurrection in Daniel 12. I think he leaks it because he knows how desperate his people are. And he also knows just how awesome the gift is. He knows just how wonderful the resurrection is. And the father can't help it but to leak the resurrection to a downcast people because he knows it's going to be the perfect answer to all their hopes. Here's a people who lost Jerusalem, their one and only hope. And they can't figure out what to hope in next. But God knows that he got them something that's going to hit directly on what their hopes are looking for. He's got them the resurrection. And when you read this passage, you can't help but to get a sense that God is the gift hider who can't wait to see his people in the resurrection. He sounds a lot like a man who bought a beautiful gown, you know, for his wife. And I know that guys don't buy gowns for wives, so I know this illustration might, might be a little bit um, out there, but just bear with me, okay? I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't do it, but I just imagine, I just imagine, you know, think like um, Great Depression, early 1930s, man, you know, struggling to keep food on the table somehow, um, comes upon this gown, 
you know, filled with jewels, sparkling and beautiful. And somehow he came upon it. And his wife, you know, they're go- going through the Great Depression. They're having such a hard time, you know. And, and, and they're having such a hard time just putting food on the table. And she wears rags every day. And yet, somehow, he got himself this beautiful gown for his wife. It's hidden in the closet. And he's sitting at dinner with his wife. And he keeps looking at his wife because he keeps picturing her wearing this gown. And she keeps, he keeps staring at his wife and his wife just looks at him and says, what? Why, why are you looking at me? He says, oh, nothing, nothing. And then she, she says, why are you looking at me? He says, oh, nothing. But what is he thinking in his mind? He's thinking in his mind, you're going to look so beautiful. You're going to shine. And I know things are so hard for our family, but I can't wait to see you in this gown. I can't wait to see you shining in this gown. You're going to look beautiful. In this passage, God writes to us, you're going to shine like the stars. He looks at a tattered, broken people in Babylon. And in verse 3, he says, you will shine like the brightness of the sky above. You're going to shine like the stars forever and ever. Do you see what he's saying to the people in exile? He said, I can't wait to see you in the resurrection. I can't wait to see what you look like in the resurrection. And I know it's not the time. I know it's not Christmas. It's too early for me to show you this gift. I have to wait till the son, Jesus Christ, comes. And I know it's not going to make total sense yet, but I just have to tell you, because I'm so excited, you're going to shine. And everything that you've been hoping for, Everything that you think that you lost, you're going to find in the resurrection. I can't wait to see you in it. You're going to look holy. You're going to be righteous. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be powerful. And you're finally going to be happy. Happy. You're finally going to be happy. You're finally going to be fulfilled. You're finally going to have something that your hope is not too small for. You're going to have something that exceeds your hope for the first time in your life. You're not going to be disappointed in what you've been hoping for. I can't wait to see you in the resurrection. That is the last vision of hope that God gives to his people. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that that vision of resurrection hope, which was a small glimpse for the people in exile then, is a full-blown spectacle for you to enjoy. You have resurrection hope, a living hope. Go to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, it says this. Peter is thinking about this grand hope that we have, and he says this, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Here's your gift to an inheritance that is imperishable. Nobody can take it from you. Undefiled. It's perfect. Unfading. It's never going to disappoint or go away. Kept in heaven for you. There's your closet. (laughs) That's where God's keeping your resurrection The thing that's never going to disappoint you, he's keeping it in the closet for you, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. You see what he's saying? You rejoice in the resurrection now. 
You have to access resurrection hope now. You have to rejoice in it now. In this, you rejoice. Though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by COVID-19. You have been grieved by economic distress. You have been grieved by people in your family getting sick and passing away. Even if right now you are grieved by various trials, you have resurrection hope in a closet in heaven for you. You're being tested so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 13, read this part carefully. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope not on Jerusalem, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. God leaks the resurrection in Daniel 12 because he loves the people who are suffering. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today that you have this resurrection hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he historically, really, actually, bodily raised from the dead. He secured for you your gift in the closet that is forever yours, that's never going to disappoint any of the hopes that you have here on earth. It's the last vision of hope that God gives to his people in Babylon. And today, he gives it to you. But one last thing before I close. Um, What are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with that? What we're supposed to do is you have to hang on to that hope. You see, God started off by saying there are worse things coming. And if you keep putting your hope in things that are of this world, then you're going to be jaded, callous, disappointed. You're going to be a sad human being if you keep putting eternal hopes in earthly things. But put it in the resurrection. And lastly, you need to hold on to that resurrection hope because it can slip away. Read verse four with me, it says this. He says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. He says to Daniel, look, I just leaked to you the resurrection. Seal it up. In the ancient Near East, when um, we, they sealed documents, it wasn't to keep it a secret. You know, now kind of when we seal things, sometimes it means that we're trying to keep a secret, but that's not what it meant then. What it meant to seal up a document was to protect it, was to make sure that it wasn't tampered with, to make sure that nobody changed it, that nobody messed with it, that it was protected for the generations to come. He says, Daniel, I just leaked to you the greatest hope that you could have. I just leaked to you the resurrection before Christmas. I need you to seal it up. Hang on to it in your heart. You have to hope in it. You can't let it go. Your entire worldview, the way that you think about things in your life, has to revolve around this resurrection. Seal it up in your hearts. He says this, the second half, he says, many are going to run to and fro. This is what it means. He says, look, a lot of people are going to be looking for hope. A lot of people are going to be looking for truth. They're going to watch a YouTube video and think, oh, this morning routine, this is going to make me happy. Ah, this new life philosophy. This is finally going to make me happy. I read this biography and I found the secret. People are going to run to and fro, increasing in knowledge, gathering things up, and never finding what they're looking for. He says, Daniel, I just gave it to you. I just gave you the hope. And so seal it up. 
And don't lose it. Make it the hope that you put all of yourself in. Protect it because your heart is going to want to look for other things. So how do we do that? How do we seal up the hope of the resurrection in us? I thought about this this week. Um, How do I help our church to hang on to the hope of the resurrection? And the more I prayed about it, um, you know what I realized is the resurrection is hard because it's hard to set your heart upon the resurrection directly. It's kind of abstract, right? It's not easy to do. But I have an encouragement for you. Instead of starting with trying to set your heart on the resurrection, just set your eyes on the resurrection. Set your eyes on the resurrection. And this is what it means. You know, we've been in the book of Daniel for four months. And you know what, what's been unique about the book of Daniel is visions. The visions that used to scare us off, hopefully, all these years we've been reading Daniel and Revelation, hopefully it won't scare you off anymore. But they've been visions, not necessarily words. Why visions? There's something about setting your eyes on something through the sight, through the senses that comes to your heart. You know, it's the same thing with missions. You know, uh, one of the things that we want to do with people who are thinking about missions, better than talking to them about it, just get them on an airplane and, and bring them there. There's something about seeing it that sets it upon your heart. And one of the things I want to say to you today, a practical application, is how do I make this sermon practical for me, who's lost hope in the Jerusalem that of my dreams? Set your eyes upon it first. In Matthew 6, Jesus told us how to do this. Um, If you go to Matthew 6, verse 19 to 20, uh, 23, this is what he says. Very similar kind of stuff. In verse 19, this is what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Basically, where you're going to be disappointed. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, but where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so essentially he's saying, set your treasure in heaven and set your heart in heaven, right? That's been the sermon so far. But then Jesus continues. He doesn't just leave you there with that abstract command, set your hearts in heaven, but he continues. And he says this in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. How many times have you just read past that? Think about it now. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's connected to set your eyes, set your heart on the treasures of heaven. You have to use your eyes. You have to use your eyes The spiritual um, anatomy that Jesus gives here is think about your body hollow, like, you know, in those commercials with medicine and like you think about a hollow body, but then think about the eyes as lamps. And if, if, if the lamps turn on, then your whole body turns on. It's full of light. And if it doesn't turn on, then your body is dark. That's basically what he's saying here. He's saying, this is how you do it. Use your eyes. Your eyes are tracking devices and anchors for your soul. The things that your heart desires, your eyes will end up looking at. If you want a new house, you're going to spend a lot of time on Zillow, right? Your eyes end up looking at what your heart desires. If you have lust in your heart, your your eyes will end up on pornography. 
your heart and your eyes are connected in that way. But what Jesus is saying, look, you can use it in the other direction. Watch your eyes. Watch my eyes. <laughs> I can't, that's the one thing I can't watch. Watch my eyes. Watch your eyes. Watch where your eyes go. What are you feeding your eyes? What you feed your eyes will set in your heart. Your eyes are the lamp of your body. Do not lay up your heart. Do not lay up your treasure on things here on earth. So how do I lay them up on the things above? Watch what you put in your eyes. Put eternal things into your eyes. Again and again, a habit of putting eternity in your eyes. You could call that devotions. You could call that a life of worship. You can call it what you want. But what Jesus is saying, you have to put eternity in your eyes. You need to live a visionary life. And I don't mean an ambitious life. I mean a, a, a life that is focused on what you put into your eyes, putting eternal things into your eyes through scripture. You need to put eternity in your hearts. And the way that you do that is watch your eyes. Because things that go into your eyes go into your mind, which set on your heart and end up being your treasure. To a broken people in Babylon, God leaks the resurrection. And he tells him, seal it up in your life. Seal it up. Make resurrection what you treasure in your heart. Because it's going to be the one thing that's not going to disappoint you. The way that we do that is we need to continually fill ourselves with eternity. With the hope of the resurrection. I just want to read you a couple of lines from a song that we're about to sing. It's called Living Hope which comes directly from 1 Peter 1. The song says, Who can imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ my living hope. Who can imagine something like that? Who can fathom something like that? The answer to that is us. Resurrection people who know the gospel. We can do it. We can imagine things like that. We can put those things in our eyes and hearts. And by doing that, our hopes won't be set on broken Jerusalems anymore. But they'll be set on something that is finally going to fulfill us, the living hope of the resurrection. So brothers and sisters of Mosaic, that's the book of Daniel. It closes with this last vision, an amazing vision of hope, a vision of hope in the resurrection. For four months, God has given you visions of glory, visions of hope. What's your job now? Your job now is to seal these things up in your heart. Don't let it leak. Take these hopes that God has given to you and seal it up in your hearts and live with it. This week, um, we went away for, to the Catskills for a couple of days, um, and it's super dark there. And Mia, my daughter, she would wake up really early in the morning at 5 a.m., and she would come up to me, and uh, she said to me one morning, she said, um, Appa, it's so dark. When's it going to be morning? And, you know, I was tired. I said, Mia, it's going to be morning soon, okay? And she said, when's it going to be morning? 
And um, I, she had a window. I said, look, look out the window. When you see the sun come up, that's when it's going to be morning. <laughs> Just look outside. Stop asking me, right? Um, but I, I mean, I, I kind of feel God saying that to us. It's don't go looking for morning in the dark. You know, but we do that, don't we? We look for morning in so many Jerusalems. We look, go looking for morning in the dark. But he says, your morning is coming for you. It's kept in heaven for you. Morning is coming. Wait on it. Seal it up in your hearts. Don't let it go. I promise you, you're going to look beautiful in the resurrection. I can't wait to see you in it. Let's hope with our Father in the thing that he has provided for us in the resurrection. Let's pray together. I think we just need to come in a time of repentance for all the Jerusalems we hoped in. And so I just want to give you a time to say, Lord, I've had some pretty bad disappointments in my life, and I'm living in one of them now. I want to offer them up to you. I want to repent for putting eternal hopes in earthly things. I've been living on the opiate of the masses, false hopes. Help me to set my hope squarely on eternal things. I think we need to have a time of repentance, don't you? Let's go to the Lord, um, and let's just be honest with where our hearts have been, um, and let's spend a moment of honesty with our Lord together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as a people in the darkness, people who have seen Jerusalem's broken and ruined before our eyes, people who live in disappointment and have decided that they would just be jaded, that we would set our hopes apart from everything. Father, forgive us because you have leaked to us already the greatest gift the, the, the very thing that's not, not going to disappoint our hopes, and yet we've neglected it, looking for Jerusalem after Jerusalem after Jerusalem of something that's going to fulfill us. And we just want to say, Father, forgive us. When you have given us resurrection hope, when you have made us different people in this world, and we've decided not to hope in this glorious hope that you have given to us, Thank you today that you have given to us this vision of hope once more. Father, I pray you would help our hearts to beat with you when you look forward to our resurrection and you look forward to everything being remade and we don't. Father, change our hearts so that we can have this hope undying and we hear the words that you have given to us in Daniel 12 and let it echo in our hearts. You're going to shine in the resurrection. I pray, help us to be a people who hope in the resurrection and derive strength from it 
And I pray that even in this time of pandemic, that you would give us a beating hope in this life. We give you praise and worship for the gift that you have died and risen to give to us. And so we give you praise with one voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise and praise God for the great resurrection he's given to us.